Hello and welcome to another installment of Soccer Pints, your one-stop shop for all things American soccer. I'm your host, Will Clark. If you aren't familiar, Soccer Pints is an American soccer podcast where we cover everything we can about U.S. soccer, Americans in Europe, Major League Soccer, and many other exciting topics. Not only that, but we enjoy a nice pint or two during these chats. So pour yourself a beverage if you're of age, of course, and let's get into it. Now, it's been a couple of weeks since we dropped a new episode for a variety of reasons, but we are back today with plenty to talk about. Most notably, this week we will break down the U.S. women's national team and their World Cup performances. Now that they have been eliminated, what happens next? What were the overall thoughts on the Women's World Cup? Who made a name for themselves? Who didn't? I will definitely be sharing some thoughts on this. Also this week, we will look at our men's national team players and the movement that several of our regulars have gone through with transfers and with most all of the European seasons kicking off this weekend. I've also got some questions to get through from the past few weeks, and we'll wrap up with a final thought or two. I'm excited for this week's beer feature, as I always am, but one of my favorite breweries in the entire country. Thankfully, my local beer shop, Fermental, continues to spoil me with more and more shipments coming in each week. So today, out of Freeport, Maine, I'm fortunate enough to have a bottle of their Lunch IPA. This is one of their flagship year-round beers and comes in at 7% alcohol and is brewed with Amarillo, Centennial, and Simcoe hops, which give it some underlying floral notes with aromas of orange, grapefruit, and papaya. I was introduced to Maine Beer Company a few years ago, but they've been around for many years. In fact, they opened their brewery, warehouse, taproom, and office in Freeport back in 2013. What started as brothers making beer for fun on their front porch and garage for years prior developed into one of the best breweries in all of the U.S. This is the third brewery feature from the state of Maine, including Bissell Brothers and Lone Pine from previous episodes. What I respect even more than the high quality of beer that Maine beer produces is that they have a simple motto, one we should all live by, do what's right. Part of that is giving back. As they continue to grow, they continue to give back. They continue to do the right things. They continue to make us smile. So. Thank you to Main Beer for being this week's beer feature. I always look forward to trying your incredible liquid. Cheers. Well, it's been quite the couple of weeks for our U.S. women's national team competing in the 2023 Women's World Cup. As two-time defending champions with several veterans looking to become the first nation in men's or women's World Cup history to three-peat as champions, I don't know about you, but I just love the magic of the World Cup. I love seeing the nations who have no business being in the competition pull off the impossible. I love seeing how much growth in the sport there's been. Particularly, what has been most notable during the Women's World Cup is how much progress women's soccer has made year over year across the globe. Now, my lack of coverage of the Women's World Cup was purposeful. Not in a negative way. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I mean is, I didn't feel it would be fair for me to try to give my analysis and breakdowns of the roster, of the match performances, of much of anything without the proper knowledge and expertise to do so. Since I don't have it, I decided to take some time off to just enjoy the World Cup, to get some rest before these European seasons kick off, and then give you all a new episode today where I can just give my opinions on what happened to the U.S. women, what needs to happen next for the program, and ultimately why they fell short in this year's edition. Aside from the kickoff times being at all sorts of late night, early morning hours, 
I've done my best to watch as many of the matches as possible. It was even fun and awesome to watch as a parent with my daughters who enjoyed their special late nights to watch the women and waking up at 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. for those final two matches. I was actually surprised at how well they did with that and how much fun they were having watching it. I realized for my two oldest, who are eight and six years old, this was magical for them. These women are their heroes, their idols. They were completely bought in. My oldest even got the new white jersey and had been talking about how she was going to need a new one again next year or next month because it's going to need a fifth star added to it when the U.S. women won the World Cup again. But obviously at this point, you know the U.S. women lost to Sweden on Sunday morning in a penalty shootout after ending their match nil-nil to end their World Cup campaign in the round of 16. It wasn't a particularly clean World Cup for the U.S. A win against Vietnam to start things off. A comeback draw against the Netherlands 1-1 in their second match. And a disappointing nil-nil draw against Portugal to wrap up the group stage, putting the Americans in second place behind the Netherlands to advance to the round of 16. Finishing second in the group meant the U.S. had to face Sweden, who won their group quite comfortably and have looked like a top contender to win the entire tournament themselves. Again, I'm not going to give a full analysis on these performances, and at this point, it doesn't make sense to do so, but the common questions I have been getting since the women lost is, why did the coach make certain substitutions and not others? Why did it seem the focus for the tournament was on the wrong things? When will they drop uh, Megan Rapino from the team? I mean, I can keep going with the negativity surrounding the questions I have gotten, but in speaking with several peers and colleagues, the consensus among us is that there will be massive changes moving forward for the women's squad. We are in this very similar cycle or situation that the U.S. men were in a few years back after the 2014 World Cup, when we just couldn't phase out certain veterans from the team. We stalled the development of some talented youth due to relying on a more veteran presence. Now, this women's program is dangerously close to being in the same predicament if they don't move swiftly enough with future changes and decisions. So let me start with my observations from the performances first. What did I take away from this tournament that I should also add is still going on in the quarterfinals start Thursday evening? I thought it was a disappointment, of course. It's not a disappointment in that we didn't win the entire tournament. It's more of a disappointment in what our approach was. More disappointment into certain players. More disappointment into the coaching. More disappointment in wasting an opportunity. U.S. soccer has such an opportunity to continue to grow the sport of soccer in this country. The growth of MLS. The growth of NWSL. The men's World Cup being in the U.S. in 2026. Potentially the women's World Cup being here in 2027. This is a pivotal time in women's soccer in this country. Losing to Sweden isn't and wasn't the end of the world, but it will be if we don't make some serious changes. What changes am I talking about? We have to let our newer youth players take over as the face of the squad. I know we have Alex Morgan as the face of U.S. women's soccer, or I should say maybe Megan Rapino has been the face. Judging by the commercials that we have seen during the World Cup, you would have thought Rapino was a superstar on this current team. She was anything but that. She looked out of place. She looked slow. She looked like she had lost her touch for the ball. 
She underperformed in every single appearance that she made off the bench. It made no sense how she kept being the first person off the bench for this team. But before I get completely on this Rapino train, what I'm saying is if we don't allow the younger talent to come in, play their game, play their style, allow them to lead others, empower them to become the face of the program, if we don't allow that to happen, they are going to continue to suffer defeats. The rest of the world has already shown that they have closed the gap in competition. They are no longer scared of playing against the U.S. And we have such high expectations for our women's program, and we should. They're used to winning. They have built a tradition of being the most elite women in the world year after year. We need to let the Sophia Smiths, the Trinity Rodmans, the Alyssa Thompsons, we need them to take over. It just felt like the entire tournament, we were missing a gear that we never missed in the past. There just wasn't something right. Whether it was in the media or on the pitch, it just didn't look like our squads of the past. A big reason for that, in my opinion, is head coach Vlatko Andonovsky. He made some major mistakes leading up to the World Cup. He made mistakes over the past year with managing certain players and the style of the team. He made mistakes with the timing of substitutes or the lack thereof in some instances. He stayed loyal to the veteran players at no fault of his own or anyone else's. I can't blame him for that. It had gotten him this far. But there needs to be a changing of the guard. A changing of the guard with the players and the youth movement similar to that of the U.S. men. And there needs to be a changing of the guard in leadership, unlike that of the U.S. men. The public, the average soccer fan, the diehard soccer fan, the never really watch soccer type of person, they all know that U.S. women's soccer are known for winning, known for being the best. Losing this World Cup, bowing out as early as they did, not having the performances we expected from them, not being the dominant force that they usually are. We are risking the women not being as relevant on the world stage during a time when the relevancy should be at its highest. We need to continue to grow the sport for women particularly, but for U.S. soccer as a whole. Losing was a disappointment. However, The real disappointment will be if we don't make changes immediately. Now, before I wrap up on the women, I want to address another main question that I keep getting, that I also keep seeing in social media and other individuals out in the world. I just touched on it briefly, and that's Megan Rapinoe. Listen, I don't give a crap if you are straight, gay, green, blue, up, down, left, right, vegan, carnivore, etc., etc. Megan Rapinoe has had a phenomenal national team career. She's been one of the faces of this national team for many years. She has become a public figure for several political or social issues and movements. She's a world champion. But I keep getting asked, why in the hell was she on this team? Why was she always the first sub? Why was she out there when others were better options? On paper, the answer is easy. She has the experience. She's been in these moments before. She will be able to hold her own. She will be able to provide a spark. She will help create chances. None of that happened. 
not against Vietnam, where she looked worse than any player on a very weak Vietnam team, not against the Netherlands, because we only made one sub and it wasn't her. So she hasn't been the first sub each game to whoever, whoever asked me that. Not against Portugal, where she was the first sub for Sophia Smith and just couldn't do anything to help the squad. And finally, and in the biggest moment, she wasn't against Sweden as an extra time sub for Alex Morgan, where she couldn't convert a penalty kick in the shootout, smiling after her miss, and then crashing us out of the World Cup, ending her national team career, or at least I should say, what should be the end of her career. She will go down as one of the greatest women's national team players in U.S. soccer history, but it's safe to say she has been past her prime for many years now. I can't help but think that with all of the media obligations, sponsorships, the commercials that she's been a part of, it was really odd to see her constantly being pushed out by U.S. soccer for publicity purposes. It was almost like she was the face of so many sponsors and commercials that they felt obligated, maybe mandated, to actually play her on the pitch. Now, that's a conspiracy theory in its full definition, and I typically don't buy into those kinds of things, but the way that Andonovsky was so quiet about the subs, the why behind it, the excuses he made, it just didn't make sense. And it felt like he was being controlled by something other than winning. It was like the focus was on other issues and bringing awareness to social things rather than just putting the best 11 soccer players out on the pitch to win a match. When my eight-year-old daughter celebrated Sweden missing one of their penalty kicks, I mean, complete joy in celebration when they missed, to immediately going, oh no, not Rapino coming in to take one. She's terrible. That's saying something. And then, of course, Rapino misses, and the rest is history. It's sad stuff to see them crash out of the tournament. Nobody ever wants to go out of a major tournament on penalties. It's an awful feeling. It was so much fun to watch. Again, there are still quarterfinals and semifinals before the final takes place next Sunday, the 20th. So you can keep watching what should be an incredible ending to the Women's World Cup. And if you feel I'm being too negative on this squad, on the veterans, on their performances, let me know why. I'd love to hear the feedback. But for now, we need to make changes. We need to allow the youth to break through and lead the team the same way our men's team have embraced their youth movement. And we need a new leader to manage this team moving forward. That's it for the, that's it for this. Cheers to the ladies. And now let's move in to what I mentioned earlier. The European seasons kick off this weekend and next. And many of our regular men's national team players are gearing up for what should be deemed and looked on as a big season and opportunity for them to take those next steps in their careers. There's been a ton of movement within our players, transferring to new clubs, new leagues, new countries. It's always an exciting time when August comes around, and they are all back in action. We know Christian Pulisic made his move to AC Milan. In fact, he scored his first goal for them in a friendly earlier this week. He actually missed a penalty kick. Rebound came back to him and he tapped it in, but still, a goal's a goal. But Yunus Musa, 
officially completed his transfer there as well. So they will be teaming up together in Italy in what should be a really fun, useful squad to watch. The move for each of them is really promising. It should allow two of our most talented players to form an even stronger bond on the pitch. Matt Turner made a permanent move from Arsenal to Nottingham Forest this week as well in what should allow him to be the starting goalkeeper in the Premier League. And I tell you what, he needed this move badly. He needed the playing time. He moved to Arsenal last year and didn't see the pitch much, but it helped him grow and develop. And he's more than ready to step in at Forest to lead their back line. We knew Ricardo Pepe made a move to PSV in the Netherlands. He will now have fellow American Malik Tillman joining him in the squad as he made his transfer move this week. It's an ir- ironic pairing for Pepe and Tillman to be joining PSV, where Ernie Stewart is their sporting director. If you don't know why that's ironic, you just need to look at who is in charge of the decision making for the World Cup roster in November. It was Stewart alongside Greg Burhalter, who left out both Pepe and Tillman from the final roster selections. Hopefully, at PSV, they flourish. Another striker who made a move is Haji Wright, one of the forwards who earned a spot over Pepe and actually scored a goal against the Netherlands in our World Cup elimination game. Wright made the move to Coventry City last week in the English Championship. Their season began last weekend, and Wright made his first appearance. It's a really smart move for Wright, who has spent the past two seasons in Turkey, and this is a new challenge that will see him competing in the same competitions as fellow American striker Josh Sargent, who is now the number nine at Norwich. Another forward who is desperately keen to make a switch to Inter Milan is Fullerin Balogun. He is still technically an Arsenal player, but he's been receiving bids from Inter and is hopeful that a deal goes through before the weekend. We already know Brendan Aronson made a loan move to Union Berlin. We know Weston McKinney ended his loan with Leeds and is back with Juventus. What about the third American at Leeds? Well, reports that are ongoing at the moment are that Chelsea are in talks with Leeds on a transfer and personal terms between Tyler Adams and Chelsea have been agreed to. So it seems like Adams is going to be staying in the Premier League with Chelsea. One of our most promising defenders, Austin Trusty, is also making a move internally within the Premier League. He has left Chelsea, or sorry, left Arsenal on a permanent transfer to newly promoted Sheffield United, where he should have an immediate chance to step into their defense and lead the team. I said it before the World Cup, Trusty is somebody that I like in the back line. He's smart. He's confident. Sure, he's young, but he's gaining some experience. He was Birmingham City's player of the year in the championship last year. I truly believe this is a great situation for him. Watch for Trusty. Chris Richards with Crystal Palace. You still have Cameron Carter-Vickers, Tim Ream. These are the guys that are going to push us to the next level in defense moving forward. Other players making moves include Gabrielle Slonina and Brian Reynolds, who are both heading to the Belgium League. We are still waiting to see what happens to the likes of McKinney. Will he stay with Juventus? That's to be determined. Serginho Dest, he's been put on the trade, not trade block, transfer block uh, with Barcelona. They don't have any plans for him to be in the squad, so he needs to find another move as soon as possible. Ethan Horvath 
Zach Steffen, two of our other goalies need to make a move, and a few others as well. All in all, though, it's been a successful summer for the majority of these individuals who are looking to get off on a hot start to their seasons just in time to join the U.S. Men's National Team for Friendlies next month and in October. Okay, well, really quick here, wanted to answer two questions that I've been sitting on for a few weeks. Revisiting the Gold Cup that the U.S. men were in, former national team player and current ESPN contributor Hercules Gomez came out after the Gold Cup questioning why the U.S. didn't prioritize the tournament for our under-23 team, which got me thinking. Would it have made sense to bring in our Olympic-eligible players to a senior tournament for the experience, to, to maybe create some camaraderie, some familiarity? Would it have even been realistic? For those unfamiliar with what I mean by U23 and Olympic eligible, in men's soccer at the Olympics, which the U.S. has qualified for next summer, they actually haven't competed since 2008, so this is a big moment for them. Anyways, for the men's side of the tournament, players need to be under the age of 23. Each nation gets three players who can be overage and can participate, but essentially, The Olympics for men's soccer is an under-23 competition. I understand what Herc was suggesting. It would have been great to get the U23s together, implement them into the squad together, let them gain some experiences together. However, it just doesn't make complete sense. For one, a lot of our top U23 players are already established players on the senior squad. And two, a lot of the top level or next top level U23 players who are fighting to make the Olympic squad They needed to focus on their preseasons with their club, getting rest after long season. We also just had the U-20 World Cup take place, so a lot of those players got great experience together already. I think anytime you have a meaningful competition taking place, that means something. You need to be in your best squad possible. Obviously, the Gold Cup was pretty meaningless. There wasn't a lot to take away from it. And I just happened to be on the side of allowing this summer's version of the tournament to be a C-squad of players and let the younger, talented players focus on their club situation. They need to get off to a good start in their calendar year or, or for this season, and then they can focus on the Olympic team for the remainder of this calendar year and early next year. Next question before I wrap up with some final thoughts of the week. Absolutely the most popular question I get from anyone right now. What do I think of the impact Messi has made in Major League Soccer in his first few games? What do I think of Messi? I think he has absolutely made sure everyone knows he is untouchable. He is the greatest player of all time. We are witnessing the GOAT, still in his prime, fresh off of winning a World Cup for Argentina, playing for Inter-Miami FC and MLS. He scored seven goals in his first four matches. Two ridiculous free kick finishes. It's absolutely unbelievable. What Messi has done for MLS in just three weeks of playing has been nothing short of insane. He didn't come to this league to retire. He didn't come to this league to just hang the boots up and coast for his final few seasons of play. He came here with the same attitude and mindset that he has carried with him at every stop that he has made, whether it's at Barcelona, whether it's at PSG, now with Enter Miami course with the Argentinian national team. He's a freak of nature. If you haven't had a chance to watch him, it's so worth it. It's something special. 
MLS and Liga MX in Mexico have joined forces this past month for their inaugural League's Cup, which is a tournament between the two leagues, and we are down to the quarterfinal round now. Messi has led Miami, who are currently the worst team in MLS, to four straight victories, and they will next face Charlotte FC on Friday evening down in Florida. Again, if you get a chance to watch, it's special what he's doing. And sorry, Charlotte, but Messi is about to keep the magic going. All right, on to the final thought of the week. I'll make this one short and sweet. My most recent episode was a short one as well. This one dedicated, or it it was the episode dedicated to Olivia Knighton and her entire family. The outpour of support was unreal. We set out to raise 15 grand for the family. And thanks to their friends, family, the soccer community overall, I'm sure many of you, it hit over $43,000 at last check this week. No amount of money will ever make up for the loss of such an angelic little girl. But I know the family has been very appreciative of your kindness, your thoughts and prayers, and just being there for them. It's been a tough three weeks, unimaginable three weeks. Her funeral service was so special. And while she may be in heaven, her legacy is just getting started. But thank you again to everyone who has reached out and supported the Knighton family. It's been much appreciated. All right. Well, that wraps up today's episode. We had a bit of a layoff in between episodes, but with the European season starting up, with September friendlies and the return of Greg happening soon and so much more, we should be pretty consistent for the remainder of the year in regards to providing content. Next week, I will be traveling in New York. So if you have any brewery suggestions or recommendations, don't be shy about sharing them. I do plan to make my way to Drowned Lands Brewing and back to other half if I get close to the city. In saying that, I'm not sure if a new episode will release next week or next Friday as I typically do, or if it will be the following week due to the travel and potential recording conflict. So I will keep you updated on what to expect next. Again, if you have a question for the show or would like something specific to be discussed on the show, please send me a message on Instagram or email me directly at will.clark at thesoccerpints.com. Big thanks again to Maine Beer Company for letting me feature you today. Until next time, cheers, my friends.